find yourself in a world that no longer makes sense. When you realize that a man like Epstein didn't Epstein himself. When the police are defunded, but Pakistan gets a gender studies grant. You may be in the Collapse Experiment. Hello and welcome to the Collapse Experiment where we discuss the collapse. But in this episode, we will be going through, I believe it's part four of Smart Scramble from Operation Lockstep, brought to you by the Rockefeller Foundation. Yes, this is a report that was made in 2010, trying to predict the next decade or two of what would happen in the world, in our society, and uh, for the most part, it looks like uh, they were just thinking around with the numbers, and really 2020 was the start of this whole debacle that we are experiencing right now. So, let's get started with Operation Lockstep Smart Scramble. <clears throat> An economically depressed world in which individuals and communities develop localized, makeshift solutions to a growing set of problems. The global recession that started in 2008 did not trail off in 2010, but dragged onward. Well, I guess they didn't realize that we were just going to have a bailout and kill the dollar. Vigorous attempts to jumpstart markets and economies didn't work, or at least not fast enough to reverse the steady downward pull. The combined private and public debt burden hanging over the developed world continued to depress economic activity both there and in developing countries with economics with yeah economies dependent on exporting to formerly rich markets without the ability to boost economic activity many countries saw their debts deepen and civil unrest and crime rates climb the united states too lost much of its presence and credibility on the international stage due to deepening debt debilitating markets and a distracted government no shit. Okay, they nailed this one. Yeah, distracted government. <laughs> MAGA. MAGA's bad. Um, this, in turn, led to the fracturing uh, or decoupling of many international collaborations started by or reliant on the U.S.'s uh, continued strength. Also in China, also in trouble was China where social stability grew more precarious, depressed economic activity combined with the ecological consequences of China's rapid growth started to take their toll, causing the shaky balance that had held since 1989 to finally break down, with their focus trained on managing the serious political and economic instability at home, the Chinese sharply curtailed their investments in Africa and other parts of the developing world. Wow, they okay, so they got this one completely wrong because China is just all over the map everywhere. Um, yeah, indeed, nearly all foreign investment in Africa, as well as formal institutional flows of aid and other support for the poorest countries, was cut back, except in the gravest humanitarian emergencies. Overall, economic stability felt so shaky that the occurrence of a sudden climate shock or other disaster could likely send the world into a tailspin. I believe this is happening right now. Luckily, those big shocks didn't occur. Oops! <laughs> 
though there was a lingering concern that they could in the future. Not that anyone had time to think about the future, present changes were too pressing. In the developed world, unemployment rates skyrocketed. Hmm. Or people just stopped working. I mean, that's kind of what's going on right now. So did xenophobia, as companies and industries gave the few available jobs to native-born citizens. Yeah, not happening in the U.S., sorry. You you better, like, check off some ethnic background, and then when they see you walk in, and they're like, hey, you're a white guy, and I'm like, I identify as Native American, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, shunning uh, foreign-born applicants. Great numbers of immigrants who had resettled in the developed world suddenly found that the economic opportunities that had drawn them there uh, were now paltry at best. By 2018, London had been drained of immigrants. <laughs> nope, yeah, they're, uh, <laughs> they're getting all of this wrong. As they headed back to their home countries, taking their education and skills with them, reverse migration left holes in the communities of depart departure, both socially and literally, as stores formerly owned by immigrants stood empty. Oh. And their homelands needed them. Across the developing world, and especially in Africa, economic survival was now firmly in local hands, with little help or aid coming through official or organized channels. And in the absence of strong trade and foreign currency earnings, most people and communities had no choice but to help themselves and increasingly one another. Yet survival and success varied greatly by location, not just by country, but by city and by community. Communities inside failed states suffered the most. Their poor growing, still poor. In many places, the failures of political leadership and stresses of economic weakness and social conflict stifled the ability of people to rise above their dire circumstances. Hmm. I love how they blame the, the politicians and the leaders for, for people just not trying. <laughs> just saying... Uh, not surprisingly, across much of the developing world, the rural-urban divide gap gaped, gaped wider. I think somebody's been watching too much Pornhub on here. As more limited availability and access to sources like IT and trade made survival and self-sufficiency much more challenging for non-urban dwellers, communications and interactions that formally serve to bridge one family or one village, or one student with their counterparts in other places from emailing to phone calls to web postings became less reliable. Internet access had not progressed far beyond its 2010 status. Hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I thought these people were supposed to be optimists, but obviously not. In part because the investment dollars needed to build out the necessary infrastructure simply weren't there. When cell phone towers or fiber optic cables broke down, repairs were often delayed by months or even years. As a result, only people in certain ge geographies had access to the latest communication and internet gadgets, while others became more isolated for lack of such connections. Yeah, none of this is really happening, so got that one wrong too. 
But there were silver linings. Government capacity improved in more advanced parts of the developing world where economies had already begun to generate a self-sustaining dynamic before the 2008-2010 crisis, such as Indonesia, Rwanda, Turkey, and Vietnam. Uh, areas with good access to natural resources, diverse skill sets, and a strong set of overlapping institutions did far better than others. So did cities and communities where large numbers of returnees uh, helped drive change and improvement. Most innovation in these better-off places evolved modifying existing devices and technologies to be more adaptive to a specific context but people also found or invented new ways technologically and non-technologically to improve their capacity to survive and in some cases to raise their overall living standards. Uh, in Accra, a returning Ghanaian MIT professor working with resettled pharma researchers helped invent a cheap edible vaccine against tuberculosis and dramatically reduced children's mortality across the continent. Hmm. <clears throat> In Nairobi, returnees launched a local vocational education for all project that proved widely successful and was soon replicated in other parts of sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah, until Boko Haram comes in. Uh, makeshift good enough technology solutions addressing everything from water purification and harnessing energy to improve crop yield and disease control emerged to fill the gaps. Communities grew tighter, micro manufacturing, global gardens, and oh, patchwork energy grids were created at the local level. For local purposes, many communities took on the aura of co-ops and some even launching... Currencies designed to boost local trade and bring communities closer together. Yeah, I don't see the the federal government allowing uh, local community money. I, I don't see that at all. Nowhere was this tr more true than in India where localized experiments proliferated and succeeded or failed with little connection to or impact on other other parts of the country or the world. These developments were encouraged but also frustrating. In the absence of enduring trade and FDI channels, local experiments and innovations could neither scale nor boost overall growth. For those looking, it was difficult to find or access creative solutions. Scaling was further inhibited <clears throat> by lack of compatible technology standards making innovations difficult to replicate. Apps developed in rural China simply didn't work in urban India. Why would they? They wouldn't be able to read it. High-speed internet access, which gradually emerged in some areas despite weak government or philanthropic support, did help enabling students to isolate pockets in the developing world to access knowledge and instruction through the written word and other media like video. But the development of tangible devices, products, and innovation continued to lag in places where local manufacturing skills and capacities did not yet had not yet scaled. More complex engineering solutions proved even more difficult to develop and diffuse. By 2025, 
collaboration was finally improving with ecosystems of research and sharing, many of them virtual, beginning to emerge. Yet without major progress in global economic integrity and collaboration, many worried that good ideas would stay isolated and survival and success would remain a local, not global, national phenomenon. They are totally discrediting China and their ability to steal and, and uh, yeah, uh, they're, they're totally discrediting China's ability to, uh, the theft of ideas because they don't believe in patents. They, they believe that anything should just be available to be manufactured and sold. So headlines in smart scramble. Okay, National Medical Labs in Southeast Asia held new diagnostics for native diseases 2013-2015. Low-cost water purification devices halves diarrhea, diarrhea deaths in India. Okay, maybe if they weren't shitting in the river. Just saying. Chinese government pressured as protests spread to 250 cities 2017. Uh, that's 2022 because <laughs> lockdowns. Uh, returning innovators struggle to expand sales beyond home markets 2020. 2022, famine haunts Ethiopia again. Um, let's see here. VC spending with Sub-Saharan Africa triplets triples vc spending there is a note here virtual currency uh, uh maker Ferragana partners with idle franchise to spotlight young innovators 2027 uh role of philanthropy uh i don't really care how rich people are going to help um Let's see here. Technology. Technology improves our improvements are geared towards efficiency, getting more from existing sources of power than new generation technologies, though some local improvements in generating and distributing wind and thermal geothermal energy do occur. Eh. Breakdowns in the global medicine supply chain accelerate the emergence of locally bioengineered super strength homeopathic remedies. I thought that was all fake. Homeopathics, huh? Which replace antibiotics in the dispensaries of many developing world hospitals. Well, mm, kind of, sorta. Not, not really. Not really seeing it. I know China did that for the longest time. Widespread micromanufacturing using 3D printers enables the fabrication or replacement components for engines and machines. Yes and no, they're still really expensive and um, yeah, complicated to use, allowing perpetual maintenance to compensate for broken trade links. You know, I, okay, so I, I could see some of this um, with the 3D printers. Um, Obviously, plastic ones are really the only ones that are affordable and easy to use. There are metal ones, uh, but, you know, the, the quality and dur durability of the different metals and alloys that you could actually print parts on. Um, I don't know. Um, this is, uh, who knows, maybe. I mean, things like this kind of worked in Cuba, so... 
Garden allotments proliferated in megacities as new urban dwellers seek to supplement a scarce food supply and maintain their agricultural heritage. This kind of links into a story that I just posted on thecollapseexperiment.com. You should check it out about how the USDA is um, trying to make a list. The federal government's really big on their list these days when it comes to, I don't know, gardens, guns, um... Gardens, you gotta have three G's. What's the third G? I don't even know. Gasoline, probably gasoline. A list of like how much gasoline you use. <laughs> Gardens, guns, and gasoline. Um, yeah, so apparently you're supposed to sign up your your garden, and they're calling it, get this, the people's garden. Did you hear that? The people's garden. That, that doesn't sound like some commie bullshit at all. Uh, yeah, so garden allotments, uh, technology advanced, technologically advanced communities use mesh networks to ensure high speed internet access, but most rural poor remain cut off from access. Mm, that's kind of BS too, because, uh, I live in the middle of nowhere and we have basically radio signal internet. It's, it's not even hooked up to a line. So that's that's kind of cool. Innovation. Uh, life in Smart Scramble. Um, let's see here. Liddy was a social entrepreneur and a mission that she deemed critical to the future of her home continent. And during plane flights was an unfortunate but necessary sacrifice. Blah, blah, blah. I don't care about Liddy. Uh, Drought-stricken cassava. Uh, they were extremely proud of their efforts, and for good reason. Liddy didn't have the heart to tell them while their work was indeed brilliant. It had already been done several times in several different places. Well, Liddy's kind of a bitch. Uh, that then might not be invented, but rather independently reinvented. Okay. So they're basically pointing out that people will figure out uh, ways that have already been created in order to uh, solve their problems this one's regarding irrigation and um yeah i kind of just don't uh care about that so and then concluding thoughts that will be the next episode concluding thoughts it seems to be really short and then i can give my concluding thoughts on the Rockefeller Foundation and Operation Lockstep. Obviously, uh, as we read through this, um, because it's all predictions, things that they, you know, it, this this document sold as um, what they're planning on the future being, like they're going to set things up and have certain things happen. And really the only glaring part of this so far is the, oh, you know, the... <clears throat> covid wuhan virus that uh ransacked the world um at the beginning of this which i think it's pretty funny they actually said it was a covid virus from wuhan but uh you know maybe maybe that's not really such a, a leap there considering that dean kuntz um i think it was back in the 80s one of his early horror uh novels uh 
had the release of a COVID virus from Wuhan. So, so maybe it's just widely known that that's what they work on in Wuhan. I don't know how Dean Koontz would be able to predict something like that 30, 35 years ago. Uh, the Rockefeller Foundation predicted the same thing back in 2010. So... Perhaps it's just one of those scenarios that people are like, you know, if it's going to happen, it's most likely going to be uh, coming out of Wuhan. And that is about it. Um, it. It just appears that they got a lot of this wrong, um, considering they, they thought that China wasn't going to invest in the rest of the, the world market, including Africa of all places where we know that they just have a, a huge stranglehold on uh, different countries in Africa and they keep expanding they they keep moving their military into that continent and um, who knows maybe maybe something economically will happen in China where they eventually have to pull out and they just over expand but there's there's one good reason. Uh, several years ago, why when I had a 401k, uh, I was picking Asian and um, Scandinavian stock portfolios. And it was this. For, for one, Scandinavian countries after 2008, uh, they, they overhauled and, and fixed their, um, their economies. Like, they went through and said, you know, what is the problem here? What happened? And they went through and uh, they put policies in place. They, they changed who was investing. And um, they, they corrected themselves. Unlike some countries that I can think of that I happen to live in. Uh, as for China, there was one event in particular that uh, stood out to me. So while Congress is having these meetings and they're spending days and weeks trying to figure out what do we do, the economy is going to fall apart, we have to do something, blah, blah, blah. The Chinese stock market took a plunge. And in the same day, the Chinese Communist Party devalued their currency, dumped a bunch of money into the stock market, everything stabilized, and next thing you know, the, the Chinese Asian stock market is uh, fine. It's completely fine. There were no meetings. They didn't have to talk to anybody. They knew what needed to be done. They did it. Everything was taken care of. I kind of like that. I kind of like that when it comes to my money. Like, uh, <laughs> it's weird. Um, it, it It's completely weird that, you know, in the Constitution, it says that only Congress can vote on the printing of new money. Then we handed that responsibility over to somebody an organization called the Federal Reserve. And even though the Federal Reserve should be able to act like the Chinese Communist Party when it comes to uh, policies and correcting certain things that happened, instead Congress has to go and sign bills in order to get the Federal Reserve to do it. And I'm not saying the Federal Reserve should have that job. I'm saying that Congress should be able to act just as fast as uh, the Chinese Communist Party when it comes to certain things. Like, they saw a problem, they fixed it right away. You know, they didn't stand around and say, how's the best way to patch this hole in this dam? 
Because you're going to have, in our country, two parties arguing with each other about cost, who's going to do it, why are we doing it, Can't? why are we focusing on this? Day? You know, all the arguments that you can think of are going to come up and the dam's not getting fixed. Meanwhile, China's just like, put a finger in it and we'll, uh, in the meantime, come up with something to patch it really, really, really well. Or just build a whole new dam. Like, they're looking at solutions. they they fix the problems. Here's the difference between the U.S. and China. China fixes the problems first and then shoots people out in the street later. Here, we're yelling and screaming in the street while the problem is still building, rolling down the mountain, becoming bigger and harder to fix while people are just running their mouths, not really doing much of anything to solve the problem. <sighs> so that, that is... Uh, that, that, that was my experience. And the, uh, the other interesting thing that I, I learned by doing this with my 401k back in the day was I would sit there and I would check my portfolio after a couple months. And I was getting returns at that time. And this was 2011, 2012. I was getting returns like 10% on my picks. And meanwhile, other people who had strictly picked like the U.S. market, blah, 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 support America, uh, were looking at like a 1% return, which is crazy. It's, it, it was literally the same as if you just put your money in a savings account. So, you know, lessons learned. I'm not saying this is what is going on today, that you can make the same um, judgment calls. Uh, I'm just saying that we don't seem to be running our economy all that well. There are people out there who can navigate it that have been doing things for a long time that can actually still make a profit. But if you're trying to do it through something like a 401k, you're going to want to look at countries or economies that have a long-term plan as opposed to let's throw a band-aid on it and move on to the next thing. Uh, which seems to be U.S. policy when it comes to anything domestic. So, anyways, that's about it for today. That is the fourth installment of Operation Lockstep. Um, I hope this has been educational and that you've been able to uh, learn a bit about this Rockefeller Foundation document that comes up periodically when weird things happen in our world. And uh, that's about it. So remember, you are the carbon they want to reduce. Thank you for listening to the Collapse Experiment podcast. For more content, check out thecollapseexperiment.com where you can find the latest news articles. If you'd like to help out this podcast, check out books by Matthew Gilman on Amazon. Or you should just buy gold and silver. Just, just buy gold and silver it's it's a better investment and uh you might actually have something to trade later on when the world <laughs> falls apart <laughs>